0: It playing with the expansion
1: oh, so great amazing yeah. like
0: the the minor
1: the hirelings really change the game oh yeah and they also like give everybody like every person was forgetting that part of their turn and you were kindly reminding them sam and it's like mm-hmm. the best part of it is like oh we all get a potential bonus like that's yeah. a good expansion is a, a an expansion that just adds in something extra it doesn't take away it doesn't
2: replace it just gives you a little more i love mm-hmm. that It's very akin to Prophecy of Kings for Twilight Imperium in my mind, right? Like, there's just a couple of new things that get added to everybody in that expansion. And so, yeah, uh, the Marauder expansion kind of cousins to that, I think.
0: I I like how it's kind of a little bit of a catch-up mechanic, but really, like, because the best games of Root is when everyone's really entangled and everything's really close. And I feel like the uh, hirelings really promote that you know where you can Mm -hmm. get extra actions and send an honor or a bird death ball at somebody or in this weekend's case me everyone just threw a bird (laughs) ball at me
1: i've never (laughs) seen you get deleted off the map before and in so many games that's like game over but in root it's never all right is it ever game over i guess it could be for cats right yeah
0: yeah we should note that in the guide here cats are the only faction that can (laughs) actually be eliminated
2: Yeah, it's there's no way to come back if you if every cat piece gets removed. Well, it makes every sense. other faction has a way to get back on the board. You have to purge the invaders oh. from the forest, and then they're done. Right. Right.
0: This isn't their homeland. They can't naturally grow back here. All we got to do is destroy their <laughs> workshops. <right? laughs> I've thought of a Spirit Island fan faction of root, like the Spirit of the Woodland, and then you could like yeah, because I feel like the tracks are actually really similar. I think root has a lot of inspiration from spirit island if i'm gonna be frank you know where it's like the tracks that get uncovered to like up, you have that feeling of growth mm-hmm. i was thinking like like a mechanic where it's like you know you you're building in fox this turn and you're moving from rabbit next turn and then the things slot over just like the invader deck in spirit Red island
1: Mm, the thing cool. is
0: the reality of it is just like
1: the looney tunes cartoon with porky pig and sylvester stallone were in that haunted house because all of the ghosts and spirits that are in the forest are really just a bunch of mice stacked on top of each other with a sheet covering them right like <laughs> that's what's really happening did you say porky pig and sylvester stallone i did i said sylvester stallone and porky pig yeah you didn't see that episode
0: I did Yeah, see Rambo seven.
1: That I saw that movie. Porky's scared, but Sylvester Stallone is just punching the crap out of these mice. It is insane.
2: <laughs> oh, it's a good man. episode. You just wrote a Looney Tunes episode. Man. That's great. <laughs> let's uh
1: let's start this real episode of Woodland War Machine and let's get right into it talking about the only faction that can be deleted off the board <laughs> and
0: actually removed from the Yes. Game. <laughs> yes. We are talking about the Marquise de Cat. Kyle, you're our French speaker. <laughs> Not that you speak French, but you're the closest we got on this podcast. Am I pronouncing that right? Marquise?
2: Yes, that is the name, Marquise. All right. There's a lot of Marquis uh-huh. uh, out in the world. and Isn't it either either, right? Uh, it technically isn't, oh. because one thing we do know about the Marquise de Cat is that the leader of the cats is a she. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so an E goes at the end of... The word marquee to make it marquise. Gotcha. Yeah,
1: it's nice to have some ladies in the woods. We don't have a lot of them represented very yeah, often. Yeah, and a and she's doing
0: great. She's in yeah. almost every clearing.
1: <laughs> you know she starts out yeah starts yeah. a great spot well i should say like before we like really delve into it too this is not like our discussion today regarding the cats is not a how to play the cats guide uh you should at this point if you're listening to the podcast you should at least be familiar with what the cat does on the board what they do in their their birds on their daylight and their evening and how that works if you don't know just pause the podcast for a second go get out that board from your home copy of root or just find it online there's plenty of spaces and, uh, take a look, get get familiar with the mechanics because we're not gonna go over them for you. We aren't your root daddy. We aren't your we aren't your root
0: parents. Uh, so we're not gonna go over that for uh, you. Uh, I kind of I'm open to being their root parents if I'm gonna be real. <laughs> but but I do think that what we don't want to do is is make sure to go over every little detail on the board. We're gonna hit the main things and the cat's abilities and all that. But if you don't have a, a strong understanding, uh, having the board, next to you might help a little
1: right we're not gonna okay we're the root parents but we're not gonna hold on the back of the bike for the whole block like we're gonna let you go and you're gonna have to figure it out but we'll be there with you we'll be yelling advice from down the street but you're <laughs> on your own uh okay so with that in mind if you are familiar enough with Marquis, you're gonna you're gonna get what we're talking about now i should say for both of you I was one of those people and still in some kind of way Zam who like thinks the marquis is actually better than they are. I know there's like a meta in the world right now that the marquis suck because they start out so so spread out everywhere which you would think is good but actually it it thins their their abilities, right? And uh, they also are, like, the engine builders, and they have a lot of power points on their board. So, uh, like most beginning root players, I've always, like, thought of them as one of the most powerful factions. And I'm sure you're going to dissuade me of that opinion uh, throughout this conversation. But, like, that's kind of a starting point that I think a lot of people will be at. Now, there's also a lot of uh, listeners who, who know the truth, and uh, we need to at least convince them that uh, she, can, she can fight. She can stay in here.
0: She's, she's good. She's, she's competitive. Absolutely. Competitive? Yes. Should you fight? Probably not. And we'll get into <laughs> it. But um, I, I, I also agree, Jake. I think the Marquise is a little underrated, but I just think that w- hopefully by the end of this podcast, everyone will have a, a better understanding of what the Marquise is capable of and so know how to better interact. Because I think a lot of early games can come from new players misreading what the what is going on with the marquees and kind of throwing the game out of balance a little bit, and we'll we'll get into all this, but our cat expert, uh, Kyle Atchison. <laughs> For sure, uh, he, he has written a foreword here. And actually, I, I got a lot of advice on the cats throughout the week uh, from many of the people that have been uh, chatting with us on our Woodland War Machine Discord channel, on the Good Time Society Discord. And uh, several, I said, what do you guys think? What, what are strategies? And everyone said, listen to Kyle. Watch his videos. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> So Kyle, we're going to end the podcast there. We're going to link
1: you to Kyle's uh, stream. Thank you for being
2: here. Support us on the Patreon. Is that it? All right. Thank you for the plug. Uh, But it is true that I have done a lot of soul searching about the cats. (laughs) As much as it it started off, I was like, I'm going to find all these strategies. And it became something so much more. (laughs) So I've prepared a written piece. Cue accordion music. (laughs) But to be clear. I love the cats, but I have to be honest, playing as the cats sometimes gives me the specific feeling of being slowly engulfed by quicksand, <laughs> like Artax in the swamps of sadness. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I was thinking about this, uh, Sam. Sam, you have an, a podcast with your wife, Rachel, called yeah. Generation Gap, yeah. where you explore different uh, pieces of entertainment and cultural events through the lens of people who are a generation apart. hmm and uh, I was thinking that the never-ending story is to Rachel what uh, Airbud is to you, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that seems right. That seems right. But so basically, when you sit down to play a game of Root as the Marquise, and you kind of like unpack everything from the box, you know, you got 25 hilariously angry little cat <laughs> meeples. You've got all their wood tokens and all their buildings, and you set everything up in front of you. It's super impressive. Like you mentioned, Jake, right? It seems super powerful. One by one, your cat spread out across the woodland like an orange security blanket. <laughs> as recently as their Kickstarter campaign for the Marauder expansion, Root Publisher Leader Games has insisted that as the Marquise, uh, we were talking about this word, but Marquise is basically just a title, which means queen or princess. Mm-hmm. But as the Marquise, a player ought to, quote, rule over their subjects. (laughs) The cell sheet from the original release of the game cheers players on as they dominate the woods, extracting its riches and policing its inhabitants. The Marquise herself purrs to you in the top corner of her player board. (laughs) You have conquered the forest. Now you must build a kingdom worthy of your name. So all this blatant propaganda, Springs from an actually legit premise, though. In the hazy lore of Root, which we'll talk about a little more later, the eerie dynasties used to rule this woodland, but after a big civil war, they were weakened and then driven out by the Marquise. So far from hailing from a line of aristocrats or established nobility, these cats are recent interlopers and usurpers. By the way, when it comes to messaging, uh, the Marquise is pretty much the best in the game. Uh, The new cats-inspired hireling faction even involves a forest patrol of Wes Anderson-level cute (laughs) kitty cat Boy Scouts, as well as a laudable hospital Uh worker. Clearly, the Marquise's propaganda campaign has penetrated (laughs) the hearts and minds of Leader Games itself. (laughs) But I think we all know, deep down, that something is very, very wrong with the Marquise de Cat. I'm going to throw some statistics at you guys. So... The recent Space Cats, Peace Turtles tournament for Root. Uh, In that tournament, the cats were selected 11 times out of 21 games, and they won zero games. (laughs) Oh, no. Sometimes players (sighs) just left the, the cats off the table. Like, they were in the pool, and they just weren't chosen. Wow. So for being the faction that's known for dominating the woodland, they sure seem to have trouble, you know dominating the woodland (laughs) is that a symptom of the meta of
1: them being everywhere and that being the first tournament or are people gonna like disregard them a little bit more now because of that you
2: know because that regard already existed that low regard i think there is a bit of a low regard for the Mm -hmm. cats um but beyond that i think that it might it may have been a little bit of beginner syndrome with the not only the players piloting the cats, but the other players involved in the tournament, sort of the way that they approached the cats Mm -hmm. uh, on the board. And we'll talk about all this a little bit later, but it's very easy to get uh, derailed as the cats. And uh, when newer players see them jump out to an early victory points lead, they can sometimes freak out and (laughs) derail the cats player. Uh, (laughs) And then the game's just over for them, or like it it becomes such Mm -hmm. a slog. But basically, you know, with all that together, like I get this sinking feeling when I'm playing The Cats. And it's not because of anything like tournament statistics, it's nothing that rational. I think the core of it is just what you said, Jake, it's like you start the game as The Cats with meeples everywhere. Yeah. They're everywhere in the woodland. You start the game as the winner. <laughs> so the only place to go is down. <laughs> <laughs> the story of playing The Cats in other words, ...is a story of slowly losing control. <laughs> slowly sinking in quicksand. But, like Atreyu, we here at the Woodland War Machine podcast... ...are going to attempt to shake you out of your Marquise de <laughs> Cat pessimism... ...and remind you that you have to try. You have to care. <laughs> we, I think our, our posture here at Woodland War Machine... ...is that the cats are actually, secretly, a pretty good faction. Mm-hmm. Um, it just takes a little finesse... ...and uh, some knowledge to be gained from listening to this podcast... <laughs> to see their full potential emerge in games. So stick around. we'll'll we'll help you get to an even higher level uh, of playing the Marquista cat. and uh, let's bring it, let's let's make them contenders, you guys. Zero wins in the tournament. Come on. <laughs> yeah, they should get one, right? At least. Yeah. <laughs> Some beautiful
0: thoughts on playing the cats, Kyle. and and I uh, agree. I feel like I didn't like playing the cats for a long time because I hate having heat on me. <laughs> I hate being a faction where people are like, get him. You know, I like to, to exist in the shadows and win from behind. So the cats, like you said, it kind of feels like you're starting from ahead because you get out to an early points lead. You're everywhere on the map. And so as a result, people can attack you. So I, I think you captured that perfectly.
2: Yeah. Could we just do a quick nuts and bolts, like anatomy of the cats really quick? Please do. No. So Sam, what? when you start as the cats, what do you have? What What's available to you?
0: Well, you are the faction that sets up first if you're doing the traditional setup. Uh, you have 25 total warriors, 11 of which start on the board, which is crazy.
2: That's uh, huge, right? Is that, That's the most warriors that start on the board of any faction, right?
0: I believe so. It says tied with lizards, but I thought lizards had 20, but they might have 25.
2: Uh, the Law of Root told me that the the lizards have 25 meeples in their supply.
0: Well, uh, the Law of Root is the law of this podcast, so the lizards, uh, so cats have 25 warriors tied with lizards for the most warriors of anybody, which is great, uh, for, uh, you know, high, uh, warrior count games, as well as, uh, games involving the otters, um, they start with three, uh, types of building, which is the most of any faction, as well as six of each of those buildings. Uh, they have eight wood tokens, uh, and these tokens uh, persist ac- across turns um, like the otters, but they're way more valuable. A good way to think about them is like roughly like one victory point per wood token. That's, that's what you're hoping to get out of them.
2: Yeah, and in uh, the new advanced setup coming out with the Marauder expansion, we're not going to really touch on that too much in this podcast. Like that's for a future episode when we've had some time to like play with it more. Um, But you start with even more warriors on the board in the advanced setup. Uh, It boosts it from 11 up to uh, actually all the way up to 15, which is amazing. Like that is far and away the most starting warriors of any faction, which is great.
0: Yeah. And you have more control over where you put your keep, which is very exciting. But all that is in the future. Right now, (laughs) we can only talk about what we've got. Um, A couple key abilities here for the Marquees is Field Hospitals is probably one of their, their most notable abilities, which allows them to save cats in battle says, whenever a Marquis warrior is removed from a clearing, the Marquis may spend a matching card of that clearing to place those warriors in the clearing with the keep token. I did a, a little bit of practice for this podcast, and one of the quickest ways to do that is on
1: the digital version. And the digital version of Root has this ruling very slightly differently in that... Uh, the field hospital normally in the in the base game the physical game triggers immediately after the battle's resolved is that correct so like when the Whenever a Marquis warrior is removed yeah so not even after the battle's resolved i guess it well whatever that means it's when they are removed you may then right. pay, pay a card to put that grouping onto your keep right yep. the clearing of your keep uh, in the digital version this happens at the top of your turn And it carries over from everybody else's turn when that battle happened. The reason this is is because they want to facilitate um, hot seat play, which is where you can – or asynchronous, I should say, uh, or hot seat play where you don't have to be at your computer to play. You can take a turn, then leave, then come back, and that obviously would be a little bit more difficult. So that's a lesson I learned and uh, something you should keep in mind if you're trying to figure this out because that stipulation might be a little bit different depending on which tradition you're playing.
2: It actually makes a pretty big difference in, in games, it turns out. Uh, because the thing is, is that those warriors pop up at the keep. Usually there's some pretty critical structures that exist in that mm-hmm. clearing. And if it's especially if it's early in the game, if somebody takes out your cat on the other side of the map and you have a card to discard, uh, in a physical game, you would just immediately place that cat back at the keep. But on digital, sometimes that your keep remains vulnerable until it gets all the way back around to your turn. So, yeah, there's, there's as much of an advantage as it gives you because you don't have to constantly be at your computer if you're playing as the cats. Uh, <laughs> there's times when that window makes yeah. a difference. It's not always, but uh, playing them in real life should theoretically be even better than uh, <laughs> on digital.
0: And going forward with the next Marquise ability, we have the keep. And the last component to talk about is their keep token that you set up at the beginning of the game. Now, only the marquise can place pieces in the clearing with the keep token. This is one of the best abilities that the Marquise has. It prevents uh people from recruiting their sympathy from spreading there. It keeps that clearing so much safer than it initially appears i feel like that the wording of that ability you'll find is so useful however pieces can be moved into that clearing and the keep can be battled and removed and when it is it is removed from the game permanently you only
2: got one keep so make sure to keep it safe (laughs) uh okay so then uh another marquis ability which is pretty good uh, is in the digital version named hawks for hire Uh, I think it's unnamed on the player board itself. I think maybe Uh, in
0: newer editions it might have been called Hawks for Hire maybe just the digital version I don't know.
2: I see Uh, but basically what you do is you spend a bird card from your hand to take an additional action during your daylight. This can be the difference between uh, an okay turn and an amazing turn. You know just having four actions rather than the base number of three Um It makes a big difference. So yeah, those bird cards, drawing into bird cards, you're gonna hear us talk about that a little bit later, uh, being a kind of a core strategy for taking the marquise from just okay to really good. And lastly, my favorite cat's ability uh, is their movement ability called March. Uh, I have written down here that March used to be the best single action in the entire game (laughs) that a faction could take
1: used to be, and then the the expansion someone subverted then, you mean?
2: Yes. The Lord of Hundreds now has has done one better with the advance action, which is move and battle. Yeah, that's insane. I had that used on me. Uh, It's
1: really good. I would say roughly 55 times that game. It was crazy. (laughs) Um, You won. I'm exaggerating, but I did win. The uh, the crazy thing, like, I feel like the cat's move action is really, for those beginning and intermediate folks, too, who I'm going to try and speak to as often as possible because I feel like you two are speaking to the advance, which I really appreciate. Uh, I will say that's a it's an underrated uh, ability to move twice because it – especially when you have things spread out all over the place, having that dynamic of only one action but two separate moves, that makes your strategy – like, that's crucial for your strategy because you, it opens up
0: so many more options for you to – Uh, shift around your rule and power absolutely jake hit it right on the head it's two separate moves you don't have to march that same clump twice which would be a great ability in itself you can have a move on the left side of the board and a move on the right side of the board which is so helpful and and if you'll if you guys are doing any of kyle's uh puzzle videos on his youtube um of the marquis de Cat, like i feel like the where you march is so important in in those like final end game where you're going to build, where you're going to find your points, and and having them two separate moves is so helpful for that.
2: And it's just so surprising how much of the map you can cover with two moves. <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of amazing. It's one of the most efficient actions in the game because it's you know two separate mm-hmm. things as one. Like oh my god, I I can't say enough about March. I think March is one of those things that like when they first created the game. They made it and were like, oh, this seems like a fun ability. But, like, as the expansions keep coming, and as p- players are playing more and more, to me, at least, it seems like March is unbelievable. It's But so it's good. so crucial for the cats, right? Like,
1: if they didn't have March, then they truly would be pretty hamstrung all the time, right? Like, I, I don't know. I feel like it, it's so important that they rule compared to everybody else and uh it's so important that they consolidate their forces otherwise people are just going to pick them off now i will say if you just have one cat in a clearing people aren't incentivized to pick that off right because it's a whole battle just to kill a cat which doesn't at you any points so you kind of have that asset there right i don't know it still feels like you your your vulnerabilities are out there
0: yeah uh jake you're right people are not incentivized to knock off those cats because especially because you can just save those cats with a card yeah and now they're at your keep, which is a way better place for them to be Mm -hmm. rather than stranded in eerie
2: territory. Yeah, and as much as March is really good early in the game for consolidating forces or you know moving a, a stranded single cat to a clearing that's really important to defend, March also is important in the mid and late game to take the cats that you've saved using field hospitals and move them out of the keep and back out onto the board to build more. So a march is just like this little engine that always keeps fueling the cats' point-scoring ability. It's tremendous.
0: So let's talk about their point-scoring ability, their kind of core mechanic, the The way that the cats score points that is unique to them. And that is by building stuff. And that stuff that you build will help you build some other stuff. <laughs> okay? And you're going to need to maintain <laughs> that stuff supply line, mainly your wood tokens, Uh, Through a a series of connected clearings you rule. Okay? This is the main thing. So each building you build also costs a little bit more than the last. Okay? So uh, that means that you're going to have to have more sawmills. But luckily, every kind of building you build makes the ones you've built better. Because a recruiter, it means your next recruit action gets you more cats. Another workshop means you can craft even more cards and better cards. And a, another sawmill is going to allow you to get more wood each turn, which is going to have you build more buildings, which is the whole goal here. But unfortunately, this uh, scoring method is a little linear. What do we mean by that, Kyle?
2: Linear scoring, um, pretty self descriptive Basically, like from turn one to the last turn of the game, the amount of points they can score each turn is roughly the same. It trends upward slightly throughout the game uh, because as you, you know, unlock those more expensive buildings, they get you, a, you know, one more point uh, for each one that you get. So it can go up a little bit towards the end of the game, but largely the way that it's understood is that the cats score uh, around the same number of points every turn, you know, around like three-ish to four-ish points a turn. Now what this means is in practice, uh, most other factions don't score this way and it's going to look like the cats have a huge early lead like the cats will be at seven points when everyone else is at like two or one yeah and for players who are newer to the game this can seem really scary you're like oh my god one faction is just running away with the game right now Mm. but you have to understand the cats score linearly so their rate of scoring is not going to change very much Or the amount of points every turn.
1: See, I feel that's actually more dangerous in some ways because they they don't take the heat in the same way. When you see someone take ten points and everybody at the table looks at that player with wide eyes, right? Whereas like the cats and and they definitely can creep up in that way. Very they can,
2: yeah. They're they can be a little stealthy for sure. But because other other scoring engines are uh, more you know like exponential or burst or whatever. it can, you know, the Woodland alliance at sixteen points is equally dangerous to the Marquise de Cat at twenty six points. Yeah, that feels right <laughs> in my mind. Like just about, yeah, yeah. maybe twenty five. Ob-
0: obviously, it depends on the supporter situation and the thing on the board, but I, I think that that's right. I mean, those right. both of those factions could be one turn away from winning.
2: Yeah, and it's just it's just because of the type of scoring that they have. Mm-hmm. Cats, it's linear. So beginners Mm -hmm. out there, don't get Mm -hmm. scared if the cats jump out to an early lead. It's likely that everyone will be pretty close in points like two turns later. So (laughs) Um. this is this is one thing about playing the cats playing against the cats with a little wisdom can help you have a better game as well, because you have to know who to focus on. And sometimes the cats aren't the best faction to go after early in the game. Because yeah. you can always stop them later. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's true. Especially as the board gets more crowded, that naturally is going to cause the cats to have more trouble. Just the natural uh, story of every game is the cats losing that control, and it's going to be hard for them to get it back. Now, Kyle, I'm hearing a couple things here. Okay, I'm hearing that we score uh, early well, and we struggle in our late game scoring. I'm hearing that we have the most warriors or tied for the most warriors of any faction, and we start all over the map. Does this mean we go for dominance? This seems like a perfect recipe for winning the game through dominance.
2: Um, if you reference the, sh- the spreadsheet of uh, community root data that's uh, compiled and maintained over the Woodland Warriors Discord, uh, the cats have attempted more dominance victories than any other faction. By a lot. Yeah. So I'd say yes, but the Marquise de cat can have a realistic shot at achieving a dominance victory. Now, how likely that is to happen is very much dependent on the board state. Uh, and a lot of things have to go right in order for a dominance victory to stick. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I think the cats are naturally disposed or have natural advantages when it comes to dominance victories. Uh, Also, their march ability, that mobility that they have can allow them to very quickly just concentrate a lot of cats in uh, three clearings of the same suit. Um, And you can even disguise it as the cats too, which is kind of an interesting thing to to do. Um, Also because of their recruiting ability, Uh, you know, they, they get one cat at every recruiter, that can become very strong if you have a couple recruiters in the same clearing. And so, yeah, there's, there's definitely ways to go for a dominance victory. That being said, usually if the cats are going for dominance, you see it from a million miles away. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I'll so, notice it yeah. turn one. Oh, you your keep's in mouse, and then you put a recruiter in the other mouse that's next to you. Interesting. So it seems like you might be thinking about mouse dominance as a possibility.
2: If that's the other thing that lets them uh, go for dominance uh, with some success is that the keep is a protected clearing. And if you're going for a dominance victory that's the same suit as the one, as the clearing where the keep is, it's basically a free clearing. You know, it's, it's usually pretty tough to take control of that clearing away from the cats. So really then you're just going for two others out on the map. So sometimes dominance can be a viable strategy. I don't think we're gonna dwell on it too much here because it's such a specialized set of circumstances. You know, the Eerie's going into turmoil, the... Um, you know, you've just wiped the river folk off the map, and the Woodland Alliance has one base very far away. Like, th- there are circumstances where it's possible, but a lot of the times, other players will be able to prevent a cat's dominance play. But they're better than many other factions at going for it.
0: Yeah, I, I I think I think you're right. We shouldn't dwell on it. We'll probably have our whole own episode on dominance uh, attempts, and I can't really actually imagine. Uh, faction that's probably more poised to do it than the cats maybe a conversation about the lizards but yeah you're right i i just don't think we can suggest dominance victories in general you really have it, it really has to be an aligning of the stars it's kind of a shoot the moon kind of mechanic more than it is a viable alternate
2: win yes completely um so with that said going for 30 victory points is going to be I think our recommendation for how to win is the cats,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: with that in <laughs> mind, let's you mean let's as opposed to about, dominance, yeah. right? Like as opposed w- to dominance. <laughs> okay.
0: We're gonna probably need some help getting to thirty victory points, right? And we, uh, how how does crafting work for the cats? Are we good at it? Do we like
2: it? The faction board will claim that the cats are very good at crafting. But I just think that that's a straight up lie. I think that's more propaganda. <laughs> are they the worst crafters? <laughs> uh, I think they're they're one of the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like they could be good at crafting, but then the a real game happens, and it's just very hard. Yeah, it's just very hard. So, I mean, why do you say they're the
1: worst? Because uh, workshops are so specific because they have three buildings and only one of those buildings applies for this, right?
0: Yes, Jake, I think you hit the nail on the head. They have three different types of buildings. Everybody else's tokens and buildings count as crafting pieces as well as something else. Not everybody, but most of the factions have, like, uh, just an easier time. Cats have to go out of the way to build a special building in a specific clearing to make sure that they have that crafter. Um I I think there's kind of a couple ways to look at it. Kyle, you called the, the crafty cat strategy going to college, I think, or an opening of a crafty thing going to college. And yes. I think there's that strategy and the kind of set it and forget it. Just think about that opening workshop and maybe build another workshop for points later. So I think those are the kind of, you know, strategies for crafting we're, we're thinking about.
2: The way I describe it is that crafting for the Marquise, unless you're going for... An opening that prioritizes building workshops, which is valid, but if you're not going for that type of an opening, crafting as the Marquise is usually a happy accident, <laughs> uh, and this is tied into this kind of set it and forget it mentality. Mm-hmm. One of the great advantages of playing as the Cats is you start with a crafting piece, and you can craft on your very first turn. Not every faction is capable of doing that. Right. Um, the probably the best places to focus on for your first workshop that you're going to just set and forget usually is going to be in a mouse clearing or a rabbit clearing. And that's because mouse and rabbit, uh, especially in the ENP deck, there's a lot of things you can craft for one mouse or one rabbit that are going to help or get you a point or, you know, just kind of generally boost you a little bit.
0: Yeah, see our components episode for how many cards you can craft with one mouse crafter in that base deck. It's a lot. I think it's like 11 or something. And uh, yeah, and so I think that's right. If you're going to set it and forget it, I'd go mouse. And if you want to keep your options open for another workshop, maybe put that
2: first one in rabbit. Exactly. And let's just uh, pause for a second to talk about the uh, strategy of opening with workshops. Okay. Uh, this is one way to go with the cats where you, basically the idea is you want to craft some upgrades, some of those persistent effects for the cats uh, to help them expand their action economy and kind of get some more purchase on the game. What I have here is in the base deck, that's going to be rabbit crafters. You're going to want to so that you can craft Command Warren, which gives you an additional battle every turn. Better Burrow Bank, which gets you an additional card every turn. Or Cobbler, which gets you an extra move every turn. Those three uh, all cost two rabbit to craft. So once you've got your two workshops up and running, you're just hoping to kind of draw into them. Um, I guess you should start with one in your hand, ideally, if you're going to go for that strategy. But the idea is to to expand your action economy as the cats to give you a better uh, chance to influence the board and um, kind of like give you more lasting power throughout the game.
1: We talked about this with the component episode uh, last week of like I used to base my crafting choices in terms of where I place my crafting buildings kind of on what I had in my hand and you're supposed to actually consider the whole deck and what might happen throughout the game. Right. So, I mean, you you say this advice of like rabbit and mouse because they're like the lower cost ones and they are more common. So that makes sense to me. Right. Um, I guess. Is there what situations would things be in your hand to change that?
0: Uh to deviate from one mouse
1: or two rabbits? Yeah, I think you so. Know? What's the outlier in that of that example?
0: Um I'm having Anvil? a Anvil? Yeah, maybe there isn't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think if you start with Anvil.
2: Fox partisans, if your keep is in a fox clearing.
0: Yes. I do think a partisans, if you're in the ENP deck, a partisans card. Uh, is definitely great as the cats because one of the things we haven't kind of touched on yet is the cats don't have a ton of use for every card. Again, because we're not the craftiest and uh, we really care about bird cards, but suited cards we usually have more than enough of. We can we can overwork with one, which we like to do. We can field hospitals with one, and it's good. Usually we have more than enough cards to do mm-hmm. all these things. Um, so if you can craft a card you basically just should as the cats this is what kyle was talking about with the happy accidents i think um but to set up for fox unless you're an ENP, i think it would be really i i can't see i've never seen cats craft brutal tactics which is a two fox card i've never seen it kyle have you ever done this
2: no, but in my head, I think that there's a strategy with crafting brutal tactics as the cats. That would be very good. But the only, the only issue is like, that's a bird card.
0: Yeah. So it was you Armors, to... which is another great battle enhancement card. It's a bird card, which I would rather just have an extra action. No, it's like that. Exactly.
2: In the ENP deck, though, I do think that there's an argument to be made for if you're going to go for like a workshop heavy opening strategy. I think there's an argument to be made for putting them in Fox Clearings. Uh, which may sound a little crazy, but with two Fox crafting pieces as the cats, you could craft like Eerie Emigre, mm-hmm. which would be pretty sweet.
0: Uh, Eerie Emigre is a card that gives you an extra move and battle every turn. All right, so let's talk specifically about the cards that are that can help us expand our action economy, right? Kyle, you kind of talked about some of these, especially in the base deck, Command Warren and Cobbler are giving us extra battles and moves, respectively. Uh, Eerie Emigre gives us both, which is fun um but it is a bird card so that one i do feel like ooh you really got to know and it, do you already have a fox crafter if it's in your starting hand ooh lots to consider with that one um one of the ones that i think is very underrated for the cats is is a set it and forget it strategy one mouse in the ENP deck uh because you can craft you know two bags two teas and teas such a great deal Um, as well as League of Adventurous Mice, which is something that's going to expand our action economy by exhausting those items that we can craft, which is up to four with one mouse thing. So uh, for me, I hate spending extra actions building workshops to then craft a card that I can only use next turn. It's just so much hope wound up in it that I like to keep it simple, so I like that one mouse crafter for League of Adventurous Mice.
2: I love that idea. I think that's a... A really really kind of like simple strategy just to improve your action economy to make those future turns a little juicier yeah um yeah great suggestion sam
0: uh the cards that open up building slots you got here or help establish rule brutal tactics and armors we already talked about the double-edged sword no pun intended with those two rabbit crafters of just that they are bird cards you know and so you really got to know when you when you want to spend them or not all the partisan cards i think are great for the cats we've got cards to spend you might you might have to get rid of them but usually you can get them back extra hits in battle is is so good and the best part about partisans is it's optional jake you realized this when we played uh in the most recent game how you don't have to use partisans if you don't want to uh Uh, and you don't have to discard it it is a card that lasts the whole game if as long as it doesn't get saboteur the 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 fact that you don't have to discard it blew me away i think
1: i just had assumed that without you know reading the what is it 10 words on that thing like it's very (laughs) it's very obvious but like (laughs) there's just so many great cards that are like discard this to score an extra hit or discard this to draw a card or whatever it is that like this is awesome in all the clearings that follow that suit and you really don't lose the card. You lose a card, but not yeah, the card. Yeah, you right? lose cards from your hand, so, not
0: the ability to do it again, which is awesome.
1: Yeah. And it uh, I don't think it saved my game, but it definitely helped me a couple times. So, like, that's that. And in a, in a game like Root, where every warrior can count, that was a big
2: one. One thing I think we should include on this list, too, is boat builders, since that does open up access to building slots uh, by treating all rivers as paths, mm-hmm. uh, certain clearings that seemed very far away. Now, can be part of a uh, supply line of adjacent clearings that you rule. So, it, it can help give you access to clearings that seem tough to get to or obscure.
0: Yeah, cor- Corvid Planners is one where you think it's going to work really well for you. Corvid Planners is you can move re- regardless of rule. All right. And this seems like, oh, great, because my whole thing is all these interconnected clearings I got to rule. But the problem is, is that the wood doesn't actually travel, so you can't bring it through clearings you don't rule. Uh, you know, the, that ability does not one-to-one for the wood, as well as uh, it is a bird card that we could spend. Also, we have to, in order to build, we have to rule that clearing anyway. Corvid Planner is uh, only about moving. It's not about building, regardless of rule. So that, that ability looks really shiny and good for the cats, but actually you'd probably rather spend it as a bird card
2: and uh, we've been talking a little bit about like openings and that kind of thing I think now is the time to really dig into the beginning of a game as the cats and tips and tricks what you should be thinking about to help get your cats engine online Uh, Garrick S made a great comment on our Woodland War Machine Discord channel uh, that the cats are one of the few factions that can lose the game on setup (laughs) (laughs) So there's a bit of a skill uh, ceiling to attain uh, as the cats and just a couple of like setup pointers can really help to elevate your game as the cat. So let's get into it a little bit right now. Sam, what are what is the most standard cat setup? the one that is going to get your engine online and the one that you would employ in the majority of games?
0: I the most common opening I see we got a sawmill at home most likely though I think this really depends on as lo- as long as you have a card to overwork it in your hand that's the the most important thing but usually that sawmill goes at home uh, we have a forward recruiter a recruiter in a space uh, you know adjacent to the keep obviously but in the center of the board so we can kind of get some uh, control as well as a clearing with lots of paths connecting to it would be helpful uh, and then. Uh, throwing our workshop in either mouse, set it and forget it, or in rabbit to hopefully gain uh, some of those extra action cards. Obviously, that requires building another workshop later. Um, Every turn one, almost every turn one is going to be build, overwork, and then build again. Right, Kyle? (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, you did a whole encyclopedia of cat openings that people should check out on YouTube. You went so thorough. It has visuals. You're going to want to look at this. (laughs) But essentially, I feel like the best success I've ever had, it's build, it's overwork, and then we're building again.
2: The goal of the opening with the cats, you just want to get online. You want to get online. And what that means is you want to go for three recruiters and two to three sawmills. That's, that's what I define as cats are online. So the way to do that is on turn one, like you said, Sam, build, overwork, build. Uh, so by the end of turn one you want to have two sawmills and two recruiters on the map ready to go so that's
1: to avoid like okay but wait we're talking one alternate options obviously where you avoid two workshops and this is the other one right
2: yeah this is what i'm going to call the like standard setup standard turn one is build a sawmill overwork one of your two sawmills and then build a second recruiter is this the only time you overwork? Because overwork is
1: such a heavy cost. Like, it's not only one of your actions, right? It's also a card in your hand for one whole wood, which is also a <laughs> point on the board, potentially, for your opponents, right? Like, overwork always feels like the heaviest of burdens. Now, that said, I get playing in the first turn to, like, get the get the ball rolling. So I, I think I've done that several times. But, man, after
0: that, it's just like, I don't want to overwork. I know. I used to go a heavy recruiter strategy with cats, knowing that I could always overwork my two sawmills. I didn't need the third one because I could always overwork it. And I would always find myself hamstrung for actions, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't find a lot of success with it. And it wasn't until I prioritized those sawmills first that I really started to find success with the cats. Mm. Mm
2: -hmm. Overwork, I find, is... It's what you do with a spare action, mm-hmm. and you're uh, as the cats. You just don't have a lot of spare actions lying around. You know, you're yeah. pretty much trying to use them as efficiently as possible every turn. And usually, there's some fire to put out. There's some clearing you have to march into. There's you know always a lot of stuff to on your to do list, and overwork is usually like right at the bottom. <laughs> uh, now, at the very beginning of the game, there's usually less fires to put out. So overworking on turn one is pretty feasible. You know, you won't lose the game by overworking on turn one. Overworking in the mid game sometimes can put you too far behind. But overworking in the, in the end game on your last turn as the cats is something that I've done lots of times to win games. Is like squeeze out one extra wood so that you can build twice or something.
0: Yeah, usually an overwork happens before a build. Right, Because if we're overworking at the end of our turn, like Jake said, we're just putting an extra point on the board. And unless that's really secure, it might as well wait for next turn.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a target. It's a huge target. Anytime there's a pile of wood, it's, uh, it's going to attract the other factions like moths to a flame. <laughs> yeah.
0: So we, we talked about we got our, our buildings out. We've overworked, which means in our opening hand we had a card. Then we put it in the right spot. If we have a bird card on our first turn, Kyle, are we saving it or are we using it?
2: Um, I'd say use it. And you can use it to either recruit or move. Um, Marching, for me, tends to be a nice thing to do on turn one if you have a bird card. Uh, Help to kind of consolidate a little bit. Grab control over a key clearing. Set up martial law if you're playing against the Woodland Alliance. You have two recruiters, so being able to recruit on turn one can give you a little bit of a buff. Uh, create a little bit of a buffer against the other factions. Um, Or, you know, if there's something to battle, that's the time to to battle. So make sure you're set up before you, you know, divert your energy towards something else. Yeah, I'd say spend it on turn one to get yourself in a good position. You can also save it. However, if you have a bird card in your starting hand, one thing you can consider, and again, check out my video on this, uh, is a double sawmill opening where you skip that second recruiter and instead build two sawmills. You're going to have to overwork twice, but you can do it on turn one. And it is greedy as all get yeah. out. But it's definitely possible. Like a lot of
1: this now, like we should, I mean, I know we're talking generally as we always do, right? But like a lot of this is very dependent of like, oh, where'd that sympathy pop up? Or where are those plots happening? Or what other, what other effects are happening in the game? Like that's a, what's the situation where that's actually somewhat safe? Is that where the, all the actions on the other side of the board Largely, yeah.
0: I would also think going first. hmm mm-hmm. Right? Like, I wouldn't be doing that if I was last. Yeah. Because there'd just be too much that had already happened. That makes sense.
2: Kind of like uh, if you're going first as the Eerie Dynasties and you employ an Exploding Birds Charismatic Leader opening. We'll talk about that when we do our Eerie episode. Uh, but the same principle could apply to the cats as well. If you're going first, you can maybe afford to get a little greedy.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, but uh, I see the next thing in here. It says, don't get greedy. Don't overextend. Stake out your territory. What does this mean, Kyle?
2: Yeah, so you'd never want to get greedy. No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. Basically, uh, the thing to do as the cats is to be honest about what territory you can control and what territory you're just going to let go of. All right? If it's the the clearing on the opposite corner from the keep, you don't even start with a guy there. All right, you're never going to control that clearing in the early game. Give up on that dream. <laughs> Sometimes I see players uh, employ a strategy where they try and build as far away from the keep as possible on turn one, um, with the notion that if you build far away, that leaves a lot of building slots, you know, nearby the keep, with which you can still mm-hmm. you know build buildings mm-hmm. and stuff. My thing about that is, it's very hard to reinforce those clearings. And the wood supply lines are quickly cut off. So unless you, you know, have really crunched the numbers and and you know something is going to be safe for a couple of turns, my suggestion is build out to the borders of the territory that you think you can control. Yeah. Which usually the way that I count it is move one clearing away from the keep and then move one more clearing. All right. Anything that's two spaces away from the keep, you've got a good shot of being able to control as the cats. Anything more than that can be extremely challenging.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think if you overextend, I've seen that, too, where people build right next to the eerie on turn one or whatever it is, as far away uh, from their keep as possible. And I see that quickly in the mid game, they've lost that clearing and several of the clearings it was next to. And they just picked the wrong battle. I
1: feel like the marquee, like, their goal is consolidation in the first three turns, right? Like, it's the opposite of of getting close to your enemies. Like, I know you said that at the beginning we don't really want to battle too much, but, like, it's more than that. It's more like we want to get everything in a place where you can
2: protect it and build all of it up so people can't mess with it, right? You want to get online. Yeah, That's my whole thing. You want to get developed as the cast, mm-hmm. to, to use a term from chess. Like, you want to make sure that you have... Two to three sawmills and three recruiters on the map that are up and running. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of the like minimum to be able to do other things, mm-hmm. in my opinion, as the cats. And we should talk about the, the reason why three recruiters is an important thing to aim for is once you build that third recruiter, you unlock extra card draw. Yeah. And having those extra cards means you're more likely to draw a bird card, means you're more likely to draw that thing you want to craft. Uh, having a good card economy is super helpful as the cats when the cats are drawing well they're having a great game and the third recruiter is also like a threshold
1: recruiter right because that's when you draw two cards but then building the next recruiter doesn't really get you anything card draw wise it's the one after that exactly so like i don't know is
2: there is there a world where you guys tend to go all the way up to that fifth recruiter i've tried it before on the mountain map and gotten pretty close to winning but it's not the most flexible strategy. And like this you is coming from Sam, a man who's played like
1: 250 games as the cat or something crazy. Right. Like how many <laughs> have you played?
2: Like you did it once in almost one. Like so f- four or 500 <laughs>
1: <laughs> as just the cat.
2: Uh, hold on. Let me say it again. I think, I think it is close to 250 just yeah. as the cat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your, your, your record
1: alone on digital. So like, You only did it, like, once and still didn't win makes me feel like that's kind of safe to say, like, anything above three is the most
2: situational thing and probably isn't going to happen, right? It is a bit situational. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has posted a lovely graphic uh, over on the Woodland War Machine Discord. Check it out. But it, it shows you the building track for the cats, and then it highlights the buildings that you absolutely need. The buildings that are nice to have and then the buildings that you just generally never build <laughs> uh, unless it's in the end game to like get the points. But the fourth recruiter is, in Nev's words, just a buffer so that if you lose a recruiter, you still have the extra card draw. Oh, that's a good way. Of looking so at that's it. a situation where you'd want to build that. that. Yeah. hmm.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. That, that's really smart. What I will say about the recruiter cat strategy is uh, that's definitely what I'd do if I was going dominance. If you For are sure. trying to thread the needle and shoot the moon and get that situation, definitely the extra recruiters is w- w- the strategy you would employ.
2: Um, I want to ask you a question, Sam. So we, had, we had talked about putting our starting recruiter during setup kind of forward, mm-hmm. you know, like towards the middle, uh, away from the keep. Why not start with a recruiter at the keep?
0: Uh, because uh, the Keep's ability of field hospitals means we can reinforce the Keep uh, without using an action. Uh, The fact that people are going to pick off some of our cats and we're going to be able to discard a matching card to get Warriors back at the Keep means there's no point in having that recruiter at the Keep to begin with, apart from the reasons why we want to have it out there, which is to assert more control. So, honestly, I think that's so smart. Just never put that starting recruiter at the Keep. Or even a recruiter, almost, at all.
2: Yeah, the keep is its own recruiter, yeah. sort of.
1: Um, all right. Yeah, so then it's safe to say if you have two spots in your starting zone, it's going to be Sawmill um, Workshop or Double Sawmill?
0: Yeah. Generally, yeah. Sawmill, and like I love to just have a spot at home. Yeah. Just for later. Yeah. When, when things get really tight, I like to have... It's
1: funny because I never really think to just be like, well, I better keep one open. But that's a valid point because you can get locked out of other stuff further along in the map. Right. So having that backup space for more points is pretty nice.
2: Right. Which is why building out to where you reasonably think you can control that territory is important. That leaves those building slots closer to home free for building later. I've also seen a strategy with the cats where people consolidate their forces a bunch in the early game. And then they build right on top of the keep, and they build really close to home, and everything is super defended. They have a ton of cats, and you know, and four, just extremely, you know, never going to lose these clearings. And uh, in in the words, I think it was Garrick said this. It was a, uh, you know, it's a nice fortress to lose the game. In. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, If you have four clearings, a hundred percent for sure, then you've almost have eight clearings, a hundred percent for sure. You're not getting, you have to contend for some land. You have to dance the dance. You have to do the war in the war game a little bit. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't recommend it strongly. I mean, we, we said this, that the, the invasion and the domination of the cats, that's a lie. Mm -hmm. All right. (laughs) We are builders that want to consolidate our forces, But eventually we are going to have to bop people, which kind of brings us to table talk here. What we need to convince people of a lot of things as the cats. First of all, we need to convince people that we are not the threat, even though we have the most points and the most warriors on the board. Good luck with that. (laughs) Secondly, you have to convince other people to attack each other. And, like, actually do it, even though you're not going to do anything <laughs> to help the cause. <laughs>
2: yeah, you want to do as little as possible. Right. And mostly just keep building. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of does move us into more of the middle game mm-hmm. kind of posture of the cats. Um, but, yeah, d- with that table talk, you want to absolutely try and um, try and coordinate the bopping of the person who's doing the best in the game. And because usually by the middle of the game, some other contender is emerging. You know, the cats start out really strong and then they kind of fade in the middle. So it's during that time that it's really important to remind everybody like, hey, like we really should be going after, you know, mm-hmm. the Eerie or whatever. Yeah. Try and put that spotlight on somebody else so that you can just keep building. Yeah, in like it's,
1: it's not your job. <laughs> like the, the the heat is on you because you're everywhere, as we've mentioned. Right. But like. If you can point out your fragility, it's like a double-edged sword of like, "Hey, I'm fragile." Also tells people to come <laughs> get your wood, like in your buildings and stuff. But it also tells people to stop telling you to police the table because you think you can. Not only do you have like a low amount of units in all of those clearings, you also have the fewest actions of anybody. So your ability to actually police the table fully hamstrings your turn so making that sacrifice uh, is never worth it i would say if only only if the table has incentivized you in a way that really benefits you should you go into that policing role is that fair to say
0: you you hit the nail on the head there jake even in tournament games even if i'm a faction that is good at policing i will just say hey guys i'm going to attack them but we all have to take our turns doing it because i don't want to lose a turn just doing something for the table and the cats mm, that's the thing the cats might have to do a little bit one of these turns you're probably going to have to march in battle right or maybe march battle battle and you're going to lose yeah. a turn of building okay and that's going to be harsh because that means those wood tokens are going to accumulate so you have to make sure on the turn where you're moving and battling to make sure that your sawmill clearings are extra protected because there's going to be a whole round where it's going to look real <laughs> juicy for somebody to attack you after you've extended yourself.
2: This is another reason why getting set up in the early game as quickly as possible is something that I advise and not spending those early turns overly moving around and battling uh, is because once you're set up, once you're developed, then you have a lot more freedom to like spend a turn Attacking the Vagabond or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that wood can build up for a turn, but your buildings are more expensive, so you're going to be spending it all on the next turn. Um, If you're attacking and doing that stuff too early, then you're delaying yourself being able to get online in the first place, and you'll still be starved for actions throughout the middle game. And what you want to do is get that early development done so that you can start diverting those actions into balancing the table one thing i found effective as the cats in terms of table talk is striking a deal with the other faction that has a lot of military presence uh whether that's the eerie in the base game or somebody else what i like to do is say hey the vagabonds in my territory i will attack them this turn Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. you deal with the woodland Alliance on your turn for example sort of like split the duties up between the factions that are able to police the board somewhat. I mean, I feel like both of you are very good about like making the table talk a
1: group effort a little bit. Like both of you in in games have been like, Hey guys, or Hey (laughs) y'all, as opposed to, I need to stop them so I can Mm -hmm. win. It's like, we all need to stop them. So any of us can win. Right. And that is the dynamic at the table is Mm -hmm. there's three of you and one of them on their turn. Then,
0: On your turn, it's three of them and one of you. (laughs) Kyle, you remind me often, you go, it's a four-player game. It is not a two-player game, you know? And the dynamic at the table really matters. And yeah, like you said, Jake, we have to stop somebody so any of us can win. And on everyone's turn, you're a part of a (laughs) three-person team against the person whose turn it is or the person who's in the lead or whatever. And knowing when to play those common interests, that's going to be key for the cats because, like we said, you don't have a lot of actions. So you need yeah. other people to help you
2: out with some of these actions. Yeah, you got to set achievable goals as the cats. Mm-hmm. Slowing down one faction <laughs> yeah. using one action on your turn Ooh, that's is, good. is a good metric for the cats. Uh, spend all the other things, all the other actions, doing things that are important to your scoring. And this is a point that I want to make for the mid game is never stop scoring. Try to score every turn as much as possible. Um, Again, scoring is linear for the cats. So anytime you let that dip, that's just, you know, that's just down, (laughs) you know, you've broken the line. You got to keep the line going. So yeah, try never to go a full turn without scoring at least some points.
0: Right. Sometimes you're going to have to battle the woodland Alliance and, and, and that, that's going to be costly, because if they put a sympathy in a clearing where you have two sawmills or, a, or two recruiters, any kind of cardboard that you can't lose, one of your actions is probably going to be spent getting the Woodland Alliance, right? It just has to be.
2: You got to do some housekeeping eventually. Uh, you got to sweep those <laughs> sympathy leaves uh, off of your front porch. <laughs>
0: Uh, So let's talk about keeping our military presence forward. I I liked what you said earlier, Kyle, about when we use our field hospital uh, ability to get things back at the keep, then we're just one march away from sending those guys out to a clearing in order to do a battle or to rule and build, right? Um, Are there any other things we need to think about when we're trying to like project? Once we're in the mid game, we've established, how are we pushing against the other factions? Is this pretty situational or do you have some general advice for that?
2: I think of it in two ways. There's what territory are you acquiring next? And by that, I mean, which building slots are you focused on getting? And then the other side of that coin is which, uh, in what way are you trying to hamstring your opponents by building, right? You got to try and make sure that these things are working together. So for instance, um, if the Eerie is in the game and you see that they have a suited card in their decree, well then... In the mid game what you can do is march over to that clearing and build in that building slot so that they can't build there for free. Y- yeah, so it's about identifying which building slots you are gunning for in the mid game. Um what what territory to stake out, how to how to push beyond your kind of starting boundaries. Um and it's not something like you can you can't push out another level of all clearings. Uh, You gotta like kind of pick and choose. That's something that I think about. Um, Edge clearings are particularly good for the mid-game to kind of expand into really quick because they tend to be less populated. Um, So the long arm of the cats, they reach along the sides of the board and just kind of gobble up building slots in the mid-game. But it's very targeted. The thing with this, though, is that by moving cats, you're kind of weakening certain clearings as well.
0: Yeah, how big of a deal is it? How fragile are we? Can we lose something or are, or is it like once we lose a clearing, we're
2: done? I think that it's okay to lose buildings in the mid game. Once your engine's online, you can start losing stuff and it's like actually kind of okay. Because, because you
0: can rebuild You only
2: it. get points for building the thing. You don't get points for keeping it. <laughs> right. And if somebody destroys a building, that just opens up a new building slot. Right. To score more points in. So, yeah, having a good balance of that, like, I've done the thing where I've just marched in, built a workshop, and then left. (laughs) You can do things like that with the cats in the mid-game. The thing to remember, though, is that when you're building in the mid-game, the building you pretty much want to default to is a sawmill. Uh, The more the merrier at this stage. And sawmills are great because they score a ton of points, and they generate wood to score more points. So, spam sawmills in the mid-game is some just general advice.
0: Are we thinking we want those sawmills closer to the keep, though?
2: Generally, you want to be able to defend them. But because sawmills score you a ton of points for building, it can be okay to like throw down a, a hopeful sawmill. <laughs> um, the the nice thing, too, about having a bunch of sawmills out on the board that I've been playing with recently is it gives a target to your opponents that's not that critical. Mm. So sometimes your opponents will divert their efforts to attacking a faraway sawmill that you were never going to be able to defend anyway, instead of going for the jugular at some like very crucial clearing close to the keep.
0: This is such a move I would do. I would attack this sawmill on the coast that's really easy for me to get, and then be like, "I attacked a cat sawmill. Like I did my part in checking them. Like now you guys have to do the hard stuff and go into the keep."
2: <laughs> yeah um, that exactly is, that's
0: so smart to kind of like dangle a piece of candy over here like look you'll get the same amount of points and it's not going to hurt me so i think that's really smart almost like a decoy sawmill
2: yeah you, you want to set up uh as many things as possible for your opponents to leave your actually important things alone <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah get your guys forward build those sawmills you know get out on the map is my general advice in the mid game
0: okay so we've done it. We've gotten out on the map. We've we've gotten our decoy sawmills and we've rebuilt it maybe and we've lost it again or something, right? And we're getting to the end game and trying to find a win, all right? How many points on the board am I looking at for the cats and thinking like, this is the turn or this is the turn before the turn
2: where I went? It's about 24. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I think 22. If I see a cat at 22, I'm like, well, that's going to be at least. They're not doing it on one turn. I know they're not getting eight points on one turn.
2: Yeah, 24, I think, is about the number. Yeah. Sometimes you can win from. Sometimes you can get seven points in a turn. It's very tough. Yeah. Uh, Six points is very doable, though. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually that's going to require building twice. Mm -hmm. That's something I I like to think about for the end game, is like, if uh, I, I can save wood for one turn so that I can build twice on the next turn Mm -hmm. and really secure that win. Frequently in the end game, you're gonna need a bird card to really do it. So saving up some wood, saving a bird card for for a big turn is very helpful. The the thing with wood is that it does persist across turns. And (laughs) that's just like kind of amazing. There's so many things in root that it's just like, oh, you just have it for this turn and then it's kind of done. Mm But yeah, like supporters and wood are two things that just persist. And that's excellent for the cats. An endgame play that I have seen a lot of and I think that should be thought about is the big parade march. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is where you move just a bunch of cats out of position so that you can rule like a very unlikely clearing and build a couple of times there. Um, That's always a fun way to go about the endgame. Um, just remember you can marshal a lot of cats very quickly using the march action. Mm-hmm. So stay flexible. Uh, and then my last advice for the end game, never give up. Root is crazy. <laughs> Weird stuff happens. <laughs> you have to try. <laughs> you have to care. yeah, no, don't give up
0: this yeah, it's it's crazy. It's very hard to find your win as the cats. You have to be so stable throughout the whole game and really manage the other people at the table so they don't fly off the handle and attack you for a bunch of points you can't leave too many wood tokens on the board at the wrong time and become a points pinata you have to do basically everything almost 100% right in
2: order to find this win yeah and get lucky it's it's a it's a big ask some
0: forest dominators they are <laughs> Jake What what's your reaction to this do you feel like you can win a game as the cats now <laughs> Yes, I feel
1: much better equipped. Like there's a lot more things. I guess the thing is that both of you provide is there's so many other things to think about, right? Um when I when I play as the cats, I well I don't play as any any faction in this game for me because I am less experienced than either of you. I'm kind of looking at what's in front of me, right? Um but what comes with the experience of this game and all games really is being able to see a little bit ahead because you're more familiar with not only the moves, the cards, and the factions, but also the possibilities of plays that uh, and combinations thereof that your opponents might do. Um, I guess like my question always is in the end game for any faction, and I think I love how you asked it, which is like, where do I think I am when I should be trying to get one more turn worth of points to win, right? And you, Kyle, you say 24, and that's based yeah. on like an averaging of how many buildings you think you can crank out in a turn. And I guess it's always factoring in that we're holding on a bird card for that fourth action, right, for the most part. Generally, yeah. So I guess that's what I'm always going to try and do is, like, hold on to a bird card.
0: Well, here's, yeah. here, we'll we're going to get to faction interaction in a second, uh, but watch out for holding on to bird cards with the Woodland Alliance. We'll get to it in a sec. But
1: Oh, that's a good point, yeah. The Woodland Alliance, I mean, obviously, yeah. everything is like, well, hold on. But, like, the Woodland Alliance especially was always a thorn in my side playing cats because, man, anything you want to do is just, like, Pay me a supporter, Uh, and it's just – it's a heavy toll to take when we only can get so many cards in our hand. Like I felt felt like getting three workshops was a tall order – or excuse me, getting three recruiters was a tall enough order because I was trying to get my sawmills up. So by the time I could get my recruiters up, I had been waiting for good cards in my hand for a while.
0: Yeah, and, I, and we, we have a bunch of weaknesses here, but we've covered most of them kind of in context. But I think, Jake, what you bring up here is one of the big weaknesses of the Cats is that bird cards kind of make or break a Cats game. Having four extra actions over the course of a game of Root as the Cats is huge. That, those are the kind of margins we're mm-hmm. talking about when we're talking about finding stability in the mid game or, or eking it out in, in the late game. And so uh, when when otters are in the board or if you have any things that are giving you extra card draw, any of those crafted cards, if they give you an extra bird card, they've already paid for themselves. There are a few factions that we should be very, you know, taking into account when we're playing against them as the cats. All right. To me, the most notable faction interaction, the, the faction that kind of plays opposite to us is the Eerie Dynasties. It's almost like the whole game was designed around the struggle between these two factions, right? Um, Because the cats, you know, care about these connected clearings that they rule and they have a limited action economy, it's in direct opposition to the birds who have an advantage on ruling because they rule in ties and they have this, like, ever-expanding program of actions to choose from. So this means that in games with the Eerie, you're going to have to be really careful over, you know, trying to predict where they're going to come in and, like, carve through with their bird ball and just plopping down Roose, right? Uh, but the the advantage that you have over them is that their actions are all public. You can figure out where they're going. Now, they're going to add two cards to their decree, but... If they have a if if you see suited cards in battle, if you see suited cards in build or recruit, you can do a lot to counter them. Um it might be that that's the turn you spend moving and attacking is organizing a turmoil with the table to to break the birds. I think it's important to do that at some point and the cats will most likely be needed to do to play a part. So you might have to take a turn not scoring. But luckily, if you do that, the Eerie going to lose a turn because they're going to turmoil. And you can spend that turn where you've just banked all that wood to kind of slingshot your way to a good end game position.
2: 100%. Yeah, I, I like to, uh, this doesn't happen in every game, but I, I love to treat the Eerie as a kind of uh, coalition partner in the early game. If at all possible, mm-hmm. because together the cats and the Erie can suppress two other factions pretty efficiently. Mm-hmm. And if it's just cats versus eerie with uh, two other factions that are a little far behind as the cats, you've got a good chance of winning that game. Mm-hmm. So I, I, but also the eerie is a very strong faction too. It's just that being able to turmoil them could be the difference between, uh, you know, getting close and actually winning.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, the 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 Eerie working with the cats feels so counterintuitive to, like, the way they set up the game, especially in the base game when we look at it. It's like these two powerhouses. They must be on opposite corners. But I, you're totally right of, like, they are your greatest ally at the table because you two can kind of control what the other two factions do. Like, it's so important with someone like uh, the woodland alliance on the board or the corvid or to some extent like the badgers uh excuse me to some extent like the otters is to like both of you communicate about keeping an eye on what you're giving those other factions right whether that's the cards from sympathy
0: the soldiers from buying or whatever yeah yeah you have to be really careful about that and and talking about the woodland alliance because we can spend a bird card for an extra action And we can do that at any point in our daylight. If we are ever marching through sympathy or attacking sympathy on a turn, we should spend that bird card first (laughs) so that we don't accidentally (laughs) give the Woodland Alliance a bird card. If I could tell you guys how many times I've done this, it's so terrible. And I really dislike playing against the Woodland Alliance. This is a theme (laughs) I I got angry on a podcast we did about the Woodland Alliance, and it's stuff like this. Uh, you so, did? you need to make sure. T- yeah, I. I <laughs> yeah, I, I. It was in the last episode that released. I, I, I was just. I, I went on a little mini rant about them. But um, I, I think it just. You need to. The, their sympathy is going to pop up and cause you problems. And just make sure that you don't accidentally give them a card that you were planning on overworking or using for an extra action because you can do those things first and not give them mm-hmm. those
2: cards. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yes, and the other th- thing with the Woodland Alliance is cats are very good at setting up martial law, which just means three cat warriors in any one clearing. Uh, and so it's generally pretty possible to uh, create a little bit of a buffer against the Woodland Alliance's ability to spread sympathy. But it, once they have a base on the map, the cats are also really good at parking a bunch of cats on that clearing and building (laughs) to sort of lock the Woodland Alliance down or camp on their base. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the cats are, you know, really well designed to uh, tackle the Woodland Alliance in a lot of ways. Yeah, you don't want to be coughing up bird cards unnecessarily. That's just, that's bad form.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we're not going to go through like every faction. Every faction doesn't have a notable interaction, but I will say the base game factions all have a very special thing here because the Vagabond and the cats have a very interesting relationship. Um, Because the cats start everywhere and the uh, Vagabond can go hostile with the cats very easily if they just attack some random cat. Then they're they when it, the vagabond is hostile with the faction, it causes them to use an extra boot to move to a clearing with that faction's warriors. And since you're everywhere, you can cause the vagabond to not be able to move at all,
2: essentially. yeah. This, force them to just crawl across the board, yeah, in a super predictable way, which means that they become extremely vulnerable to attack as well. So it can, it can totally ruin a Vagabond game. Right.
0: So if you're a Vagabond playing against the cats, this is something you're probably n- wanting to avoid. Uh, and if you want to be a little aggressive against the Vagabond as the cats, if you force them to remove one of your cats by battling them, then they will go hostile and have a hard time moving around your stuff. However, you did just make all of your pieces worth points to the Vagabond, which mm-hmm. you might not want to do either. So it's a very seesaw very situational tense relationship between the vagabond and the cats
2: early in the game the vagabond should be trying to make friends with the cats uh because it's too costly to be hostile early on with the cats in terms of movement and uh just in terms of being you know a target for them Uh, But if you feed them a bird card early in the game and say, hey, I'm going to be in your territory, like, can you leave me alone if I feed you this bird card? (laughs) A cats player will usually say, why, of course, come on in and explore this ruins. Open up a building slot for me. And you see it's a very reciprocal, nice type of thing. Yeah. Until about four turns later when the Vagabond goes hostile and then just you know turns the up. cats into a points pinata like you said Sam <laughs> yeah yeah the, the
0: the the moment's going to happen when that betrayal happens and i just feel like it, it's so much worse for the cats because they can have multiple wood tokens in a clearing uh, oh yeah the new expansion will have more of this but because there's so much cardboard in one clearing with the cats that makes it such a huge target for a, a vagabond with a couple swords
1: when you say the expansion of more of this you mean because like the lord of the hundred has a lot
0: more pieces on the board right
1: Is what you're referring to um
0: lord of the hundreds and the keepers in iron both have uh more cardboard more tokens can be in the same clearing because of the yeah. relics can be in the same clearing and uh the lord of hundreds has fire tokens um so Juice it's even targets. more than just buildings yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, the other notable interactions, I'll say, is otters. You're you, Again, we have a lot of warriors to spend on them. They also have mercs, mercenaries, all right, that you can pay, and that rules the clearings where they're in. Now, some otters might extort you for this. We've talked about that but it also can be a huge thing especially in the end game remember you can just buy their services you rule that clearing and if you can get wood there you can just use the otters to build those final buildings you know when people are trying and to lock you out the otters can offer you a way out
2: and because you start with 25 warriors as the cats usually you've got enough in the supply to purchase from the otters easily mm-hmm. Uh, We should talk really quickly about the lizards because the gardens interact with the wood supply lines in in a really surprising kind of way. So because you have to rule connected clearings, as soon as the lizards pop up and plant a garden or sanctify one of your buildings as the cats that screws up all of your uh, ability to move that wood around so watch out for that if you're playing against the lizards
0: yeah i think that's probably gonna be the case with the lizards with everybody right lizards are just they control those clearings with gardens and that's gonna mess everybody up that cares about rule all right quickly guys i think we can touch on what the map situation is with the cats luckily Waterman uh, Waterman 121, Kyle here, has done a <laughs> k- terrific job on the autumn map of detailing almost every single cat opening you could think of on the autumn map.
2: Yes, this is a podcast, and maps are obviously a visual phenomenon, mm-hmm. so go check out that video for more kind of concrete steps on how to open a game as the cats on the autumn map. But in general, uh, there's a couple of clearings that you should keep your eye on. One is that uh, kind of central fox clearing with five paths. Uh, that I have named Texas, <laughs> given a little nickname. Um, so y- you want to try and hang on to Texas if you can, because uh, it just is a, a point of control for the board. Um, not always important, depends on the clearing you start in, obviously. Uh, the other clearing to mention now is the uh, the mouse clearing that has three building slots. That is a generally a very appealing clearing for the cats. So if the chance arrives for you to go ahead and just reach out and grab that, I say go for it. Uh, lastly, there's two clearings in uh, at the very top and at the very bottom that are a bit isolated and both have two building slots. Um, I've nicknamed them Canada and Cancun. Uh, <laughs> you should definitely throw sawmills in those clearings. They're very easy to defend uh, and th- the fact that there's two building slots there means you can generate an unreal amount of wood for later in the game, yeah. Uh, let's let's touch on the winter map really quick. Uh, the winter map newly available on Root Digital, uh, here in March 2021. So, uh, as you play games in the winter map with the Marquise, I've been seeing a lot of players starting in the bottom corners because they, those corners have two building slots, and I think that's a little bit of a mistake. Sam, do you want to talk about why that's a mistake?
0: Yes, uh, it, the same reason why you liked those uh sawmills in the in Cancun and Canada in those clearings that only have two uh, uh, things it's because it creates choke points if you look at the top of the winter map it is all uh, these clearings that are only connected to each other in this kind of isolated fashion and those clearings are very rich with building slots although the corners don't have them the two ones that are the easiest to defend I think both have two right So it it can be an incredibly easy thing. You can worry about taking some forward territory. Meanwhile, you've banked three building slots that you can use at any time.
2: Yeah. So starting in those top corners uh, during setup is an easy, easy way to get an immediate advantage on the winter map as the Marquise. Go out and try it for yourself. You'll see. Uh,
0: Lake map also has some choke points, Kyle. Are we applying the same logic here? What's different about the lake map?
2: Lake map is a tricky one. The layout is challenging for the cats. Uh, There's so many clearings that are choke points that you need to rule in order to just get wood to the other places on the board. My general advice is start in the top right corner. Um, There's a kind of matrix of six clearings that are kind of in and around that top right corner that are going to be your territory as the cats to stake out. And it's just so much easier in the top right than it is in any other location, in my opinion. Is there any situation
1: where it's like, oh, only one building spot. I guess that's where I go. I guess that's if the, ca- if the clearings align with what your card pre- preference is for crafting.
2: I guess so. If you're going for some weird early dominance play, like maybe. But I don't know. I, I think in general, it's better to take the most flexible mm-hmm. location mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Advanced setup is going to play Havoc with the cats on the lake map in particular. And again, we'll touch on that in a future episode about advanced setup. Uh, But keep keep this in the back of your mind, players out there. Playing on the lake map as the Marquise is about to become way more challenging.
0: (laughs) So let's talk about the opposite of challenging. How are the cats on the mountain map, Kyle?
2: Oh, so good. So good. (laughs) <laughs> they're the best on the mountain map They're called mountain cats They have a whole new name It's like the, you know, Voltron cat <laughs>
0: <laughs> But why? Why are the cats so good on the mountain map? I don't understand I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, um, because, a dum-dum how, Tell me how they're good
2: uh, No, well, it, it's, it it isn't immediately obvious But the, the mountain map uh, Along with having just an extra building slot One more than any other map uh, Which is already good for the cats uh, Is super interconnected And that means that your wood is going to be able to travel much more freely around the mountain map than almost any other map. Not only that, there's a bunch of points lying around on the board. There's six points worth of uh, covered paths that you can spend a card to uncover and gain a point. And the cats love doing that because they start everywhere. All right. All you need is presence in a clearing that touches that covered path. And the cats start with that. So you, you can just start scoring points right away. Extra points on your turn. Um, the cats score in a linear fashion like we mentioned, well this is just going to boost that pretty much every turn and the cherry on top of it all the pass <laughs> This central clearing that gives you a point at the end of your turn if you rule it the cats love to just build a recruiter there and then just dare any other faction <laughs> to come and take it from them usually that's going to be good for uh, during the course of a game uh, about 6 to 8 Extra points as the cats, and when you think about it that way, you only have to get to 22 points on your own, and the cats are pretty good at doing that, right? So,
0: professionals at only getting to 22 points,
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, in the Space Cats Peace Turtles tournament, no cats player got above 25 points. Jeez, really, interestingly, in any of their games, yeah. Uh, three, three players, I think, got to 25 points, and that was the highest. So if you figure that is the case on mountain map, you've got six to eight extra points to work with. Like that's going to win you the game. So cats on the mountain map, be very careful with them. They will steal a game from you. (laughs) They're very good. Wow. Well,
0: that was a lot. That was thorough. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Kyle. This was, this was an experience of, of trying to crack the, one of the hardest nuts of root well I mean like
1: i've I've sat here listening very intently because you guys are spilling so much wonderful information. I guess like my question for both of you is is like what's the what's the piece of advice that you feel that maybe is it most important but maybe is uh most overlooked?
2: uh don't police mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, don't succumb to the table pressure or the temptation to try and you know police the the board. It, unless you really have to, like, save those actions yeah. for your
1: economy. Your positioning is a mirage, right? Like, it's it's your lack of actions that's your true, like, reason you can't do it effectively.
2: Yes. And so, with, to kind of, like, say that a different way, uh, spend your actions wisely. You only have a small amount of, uh, kind of, tempo to work with and just make sure that you uh are deploying that in a way that's helping you to get further in the game you got to play your game that's basically yeah. it it's from survivor yeah. you got to play your game <laughs> <laughs> sam what about you what are what are your uh, what's your kind of takeaway
0: i think i think it's that you gotta focus on that on the sawmills it is about building the buildings and this is what you guys said like you don't have time to do anything else you always have to think about scoring points every turn, and you do that through the sawmills is the easiest way. It's just passive uh, resources that you're getting every turn. Obviously, that comes with the huge caveat of knowing how to protect them and knowing when to build them and where, but if, if you have got the idea that you're not the police, I would say the next level is just like, and, and just focus on building. Mm-hmm.
2: That's what mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Stay focused it on the of-
0: task at hand.
2: Mm -hmm. It's kind of like looking through the wrong end of the telescope at the cats (laughs) where I I think the, the kind of narrative, the story, the theming of the cats would suggest that you go out and keep everything in the woodland orderly and then try and squeeze out like a building here and there. When really what you should be thinking is I am building a building this turn. And let's see what else I can do, I guess. But I'm doing that for sure. And then the rest of my turn will be organized around what what else I am capable mm-hmm. of doing. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Yeah. Always be scoring. <laughs> Always be scoring. Love that strategy. Well, that was our guide for the Marquis de Cat. I'm excited to see uh, everybody's feedback on this and to see how this advice plays out. I'm going to take this now and I'm going to go play some matches this weekend and give it a shot um i feel like you gave me some really solid direction in terms of like how to open my game and you taught me a lot about my limitations which i guess that's kind of what we have to talk about a lot with the cats is like this is what you can't do so Mm -hmm. this is what you should do right like it's one of the few factions Mm -hmm. that's the strategy is based on their lack
0: of
2: options in a lot of ways
0: right yeah that's a good way to put it
2: yeah the cat playing the cats uh Is like running with weights on your ankles (laughs) in terms of playing a game of Root. They're they're a bit restricting, and doing it will make you a way stronger Root player. So I hope that these tips will uh, help you listeners out there go and uh, win some Root games. That's the whole point. We'll give a special shout out to the first person who wins with cats
1: in a uh, tournament. So if you manage to do it, yeah. Oh, I can't. I can't wait. Yeah, we're we're definitely going to sing your praises for sure, and uh, yeah, you'll become well, an unofficial I mean, We've seen mascot. them in,
0: in previous tournaments, but not this, not the most recent. Oh, okay. Sure. Well, yeah,
1: but now that there's so many other factions yeah, out, I, like I'm picking and choosing a little. I feel bit. They've, they've won. More, I know, th- I know they sure. can win, but like people also are going to avoid them even more with these two new factions out, right? Like I feel like they're going to be the least taken of of many of the factions in a lot of the situations. There's not going to be there's not going to be a draft where you have the fourth chase you have the fourth choice and you're like absolutely I'll do Cats. Like I can I can only take it, think of a few
2: situations, right? Yeah. Oh, Jake, I think that <laughs> actually the fourth pick Cats could be super deadly with the advanced setup again. Sure topic. sure. Well, no, but well, that, that go my first. Hot take.
1: That's the thing I guess is because you get to go, if you got to go first but because you pick last, right? That's actually a fair right. point. So maybe the fourth right. maybe the fourth place uh selection is the best place for them right
2: yeah yeah you may have to like defensively pick cats i like that a third or something but like here's my hot take though is that the lord of the hundreds is like the better cat yeah but that's the way it goes so
1: uh eager to hear everybody's feedback on this uh sam any shout outs you want to give before we head out for the day
0: Yeah, I want to thank everyone for helping us out this week. Marcus the Cat, Garrick S, Justin K, Saltier Factory, Neveknezz, Fugless, Just10, Duke Leto. You guys have been great on the Discord. And, And anyone who wants to come over to the Good Time Society Discord under the Woodland War Machine channel, please join in the conversation. We just had a very lengthy conversation about the card Charm Offensive. And I was told that I was stupid and wrong. Whoa! No, they, no one said that to me, but I was proved. Your mom's on the wrong, Discord? I think. Oh, okay. <laughs>
2: Got it. Uh, <laughs> ah, ah, ah.
0: What, are we, what are we reviewing next week, friends? I think it's forgotten rules. I think I could do, I, not only can I do 10 forgotten rules of root, I think I can do 10 forgotten rules of root and then 10 separate forgotten vagabond rules <laughs> specifically. Well, let's keep it to 10 so
1: you can expand on each of them, right? Instead of making twenty, that, that you sounds can't good. Sounds on. good. Jerry. All right. So next week, the yeah. ten most forgotten rules of Root, where we cover kind of the things that are easily overlooked when we first sit down to this game. Because wow, there's a lot of things to overlook and <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things to keep in mind. I'd say every single time I've played this game since I started this podcast, I've been like, oh, right. You don't need a card to do that. (laughs) Like, just so many stipulations, right? And I think we should go over those stipulations, especially the ones not only that are common, but the ones that are important. Not Mm. always the same. (laughs) No, no, not always the same. Uh, On that note, I think we just say...
0: Root, Root! 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 Root!